0: I'm on the ride of a lifetime I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore And I won't be coming back here
1: Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. And my notes are out of order. So starting this whole thing off right, I just noticed it. I'm standing up here for minutes doing nothing. And can I, wait a second. I think they're missing, so I'll just use this for a sec. Can I use it for a second? All right. September 11th and 12th, a Friday and a Saturday morning with Dr. Don Preston, uh, expert in preterism. Uh, we hope you'll enjoy, jo- uh, join us here and uh, take the time because I think it's, really think it's worth it, especially if you're a futurist and you're waiting for Jesus' return on September 11th and 12th. Speaking of here at the Heart of the Matter Studio Church, some of you have received an email from us and it's discussing our making a run for a television station in the state. And this is a business venture. This is really aside from the ministry altogether. It really won't have anything to do with what we're doing here. It's a completely separate thing. We were just letting some people know uh, that if you had family or friends that might be interested in the venture and were qualified, uh, that we would talk, things like that. But don't take that as uh, the ministry is owning, t- buying television stations and things like that. It's not anything like that. It's just that it um, it got out to our email through a certain people and people have questioned, what are you guys so flush you can buy a television station? No, not at all. It's a private, separate thing. We need your support. Uh, if you're uh, Uh, somebody who's not on a fixed income, and if you're in a position, and if you're led to support the ministry, please do. No compulsion, but I just wanted to make that clear. Because of the enormity of our topic tonight, I am going to go right into prayer, and uh, we'll go from there. Lord, we uh, seek you and need you, and uh, understand that good things come from you, uh, light and truth and love and all the things that Scripture describes as fruit of, the fruits of the Spirit, which are peace and joy and long-suffering and patience and kindness and gentleness, etc. So we thank you for it. We pray you'll be with us tonight. Help those who are seeking the truth and help us to convey the truth in some form or another. Bless our staff and the volunteers and the people who are searching. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we had a rather aggressive young man. He sounded young. Uh, assert a number of things about how the Bible should be applied to us in our lives. Uh, I maintain that there are passages of the Bible that can be taken literally. They're pretty clear uh, at face value today. And there are passages that uh, we could, in terms of culture, uh, not give them application in our life today any longer. And quite frankly, most topics, in my opinion, in the Bible are debatable. Uh, and therefore, in my estimation, very few things ought to be dogmatically demanded of each other, Uh, very few, if any. Our caller, and he's called before, argued that my approach is untenable and tried to pin me down to name a few specifics that could be demanded and then specifics that need to be excluded, and it became this kind of contest. Listen, if I start naming specifics, that must be included or must be excluded, I'm just going to create another list of musts, and that's just another form of a denomination, you see? Which is what we're trying to avoid. Subjective Christianity allows for all elements of faith to exist between a believer and God and does not cater to what men think. It's between the believer's conscience and what they believe the Bible is saying. Now, that terrifies people. They want the Bible to say things really clearly. What was it that Paul said? Do you remember? He said in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Listen to this. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's all Paul said. I came to you, I'm not coming with really fancy speeches. I just want to say I don't know anything. I don't have any knowledge of anything save except Jesus Christ, him crucified. I've suggested that the gospel is really the only standard, which is the good news, which really is Christ. He's the author, he's the finisher of the faith, if the Holy Spirit has regenerated a person, if someone says, I believe in Christ Jesus, I don't need, we don't need to worry that Christ is included in the mix. We don't have to go and put people through a litmus test of what theologies they embrace and what they don't. Uh, We preach Christ, we teach Jesus, we let the Holy Spirit do the convincing, and this approach truly leaves everything else up for debate. Uh, Let me turn to the Word tonight to give you an example of that. Let's talk about, drum roll please, a huge topic. A topic that people build entire houses of theology upon. A topic that many people say must be embraced in a certain way for people to be saved. What is the topic? Water baptism. Now, listen. Our caller last week says, Listen, the Bible clearly tells us everything we need to know about things. We use the Bible as our guide. Well, let me talk about water baptism tonight. We have a Bible, we have a topic that in the Christian world plays a role, large and small, right? For some in the faith, the topic is huge. People's very salvation is predicated, their eternal life, on whether they have been, whether they have submitted to the application of water in one form or another to their body. That's how important water baptism is. And then for others, the topic is an absolute non-event. In fact, there are others who don't even believe in water baptism who are great Christians. What do you do? Do we make a stand? Do we fight? I mean, on this topic alone, if we had a thousand people watching tonight and they all represented their respective faith, okay, and... uh, their doctrines were starting to come out, we would have close to a thousand varied views on what water baptism is, what it means. At least three or 400 arguments would pop up between people. At least three or 400 arguments between those thousand viewers would be pointing at each other and saying, no, no, no. Let me, are we talking about baptism of water or of spirit? We're talking about water. If water, who can baptize? I want to know that. And can women baptize? And can teenagers baptize? Could a seven-year-old baptize somebody? Another friend, because of size, probably couldn't do it of a grown adult, but could they do someone else? Is that possible? A seven-year-old who believes? Do we baptize infants? What's the minimum age? Four, six, eight, newborn, 12. Does a profession of faith have to come before baptism? Does water have to be fresh in a baptism, or can it be a stagnant pool of water or a jacuzzi? Can it be in a salty sea? You might think, well, that's a ridiculous uh, question. Wait till we get to the history of baptism before you think that's ridiculous. Should people wear white? Can they be naked? Should they wear a tie? Should women wear a dress, a swimsuit? Is that appropriate? Does a person submit, or are they taken down by the baptizer? Are they taken down at all? Do they stand there? Is it pouring? Is it sprinkling? Is it immersion? Are prayers said prior to? Our words uttered? What if a foot comes up? For those of you who have been LES, you know what that means. And this is just one topic that our caller actually believes the Bible gives a clear, definitive answer to. I think he had the audacity to say that his church is true. If his church is true, then his church has the true understanding of bab- water baptism and what it means. Certainly the Bible speaks of baptisms, but just as certainly are the uncertainties that are produced in its discussion of them. Uh, the fact that Jesus was baptized is enough for many people to say, Jesus was baptized, it was in a river, therefore it had to have been by immersion or submersion, therefore we do it. That's just, the, just, it's just that's what the LDS used to say. Look at Jesus. He did it. We do it. Uh, For others, the context of why Jesus was baptized and by who reveals much more, and they don't let his baptism influence whether they should be baptized or not. Who's right? At the end of Matthew 28, in what we call the Great Commission, we read Jesus say, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. There it is. People will scream while ignoring Jesus said this to his apostles. He didn't say it to you and I and to the world. He told his apostles this. Okay? Did you know that as a result of Matthew 28:19 that I just read that most Christians baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But did you know we never ever read about people being baptized With those names in the rest of the New Testament, it's never, ever used when a baptism occurs. Did you know that? In fact, let's actually read from the Bible so you believe me. Acts 19, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard of whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Meaning the Baptist. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, Saying unto people that they should believe on him Which should come after him, That is on the Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized. Wait for it. Wait for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus. That's how they were baptized. In the name of the Lord Jesus. No father, no son, no Holy Spirit. Never by an apostle in the New Testament. Never. Always just in the name of the Lord. Never do they say that. So, is baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as Jesus commanded? or is it done in the name of Jesus as the apostles did? Which is it with the Bible that is so clear on these doctrinal positions of how things should be done, which one is it? Tell me. Does it disturb you or have you decided you have an answer and everyone else has to agree with your answer and your version in order to be right? Oh, you don't care either way? That might be it. I don't really care either way, that's excellent. You accept anyone's approach to this subject as long as Jesus is involved and you leave it all up to God. Well, welcome to subjective Christianity, my friend. That's the spirit of it. If you can say that, well, you know the person, they decided to be baptized and they were baptized by the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the name of the Son. It doesn't matter to me. That welcome to subjective Christianity. You want to make a stand on either of those? Welcome to denominationalism and division and dogma. This is something our caller and most of denominations reject, this free, open type of approach. Then there are those who believe that they can look to church history and determine how baptism, water baptism, must be approached. They study the early church fathers, so let's take a minute and just do that ourselves. As stated, the canonical Gospels report that Jesus was baptized. A historical event, a high degree of certainty if we're going to trust the the historical record of the Gospels. Baptism has been called a sacrament and an ordinance of Jesus Christ. In some denominations, baptism is also called christening, like you christen a boat, that's what really what they're doing when they take a bottle of champagne and they smash it against the, the hull of a, of a craft. before They are baptizing. Christening is just another name. The boat in champagne. I don't know where the tradition comes from. So, but for others, Christening is baptism. And for others, Christening is for infants. The usual form of baptism among the earliest Christians was for the candidate to be immersed now, immersion does not mean submersion. Immersion means to somehow have part of the body immersed in water. It doesn't necessarily mean, I used to think that it meant immersion was totally under. That's submersion. Immersion can have a bottle, I mean, a, a, a water poured over the body. Immersion could include walking up to your knees in water, kneeling down and having water poured, poured over you. Immersion does not mean necessarily submersion. While John the Baptist's use of a deep river for his baptism suggests total submersion, pictorial and archaeological evidence of Christian baptisms from the 3rd century onward indicate that the normal form was to have the candidate stand in water while water was poured over their upper body. That was the way it was done from the 3rd century archaeological findings and pictures alone. Our other forms of baptism include pouring water three times over the forehead. That was a common way of doing it, and that method is called effusion. Martyrdom was identified early in church history as the baptism of blood. And the reason they called it that was that if somebody had not submitted to water baptism and was martyred, they believed the baptism of his blood saved him in the kingdom to come. Later, the Catholic Church identified a, something called the baptism of desire. This is really getting out there. And that was a preparation for, that was a, a, a caveat for people who were thinking of being baptized. They desired it, but were killed beforehand. If they merely desired it, that would save them. We either find a way or we make a way with all this stuff. As evidenced in what is rather common Christian practice, uh, infant baptism, water baptism has almost always universally been seen by many Christians, almost universally seen by many Christians as having some tie to salvation itself, okay? Today, some Christians, particularly Christian scientists, Quakers, Salvation Army, Unitarians do not see water baptism as necessary at all. They don't practice the right. Are they not Christian? Are they all heretical? Uh, Have they taken the Bible wrong? Are they going to be in trouble for this? Among those who do practice water baptism, the differences are vast in their view and their mode. Almost all Christian sects baptize, as I said, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, following the Great Commission, but there are a few that baptize in Jesus' name only. Is Jesus' name only, the way the apostles did it, inferior? I wanna know. If it doesn't matter, why do we divide on it? If it's okay, how come we, do, we, we don't accept other religions' baptisms? If it's not okay, which is the right way? Does the Bible tell us so? And where more than half of the world's population of Christians baptize infants, infants, and they justify it through the reading of the Bible, there are close to half of the remaining Christians who believe water baptism is reserved for people who say, I believe in my heart, I want to be baptized in an outward expression of my inward belief, and therefore infants are excluded from those Christians' approach to the uh, uh, rite and the ritual. Some say the head has to be washed. Others say submersion, at least or immersion, is requisite to be right with God. Let's then look at word origins and see if this helps us understand baptism better. These are the arguments that... Uh, Bible literalists will say, well, let's go to the word origins. And so all the scholars have done that, and it hasn't changed these divergent views on the subject. The English word baptism is derived indirectly through the Latin from the neuter Greek concept noun baptisma, all right? And it means washing-ism. That's what it means, really. washingism, which is a neologism of the New Testament derived from the masculine Greek noun baptismos, a term for ritual washing in the Greek language texts, and were popular during the Jewish second temple period, okay? When you converted to Judaism, you would be washed. Ablutions were huge with Jews, still are. And so this water washing that the Jews used to convert to Judaism and to go into the temple and to wash away sin and the symbolism of that carried forward into the Christian world. Both of the nouns are derived from the term baptizo. I washed a transitive verb which was used in Jewish texts for ritual washing and apparently became the new rite in the New Testament and baptizo. The the Greek verb bapto means to dip and and it means to take a crust of bread and to dip it into another sauce. It doesn't mean to immerse, it just means to dip. That is why submersion is not necessarily the meaning of baptism. It can be immersion or it can be a pouring or a sprinkling. The Greek words related to baptized are used in such a great variety of meanings because of the variety of meanings and applications. We're not gonna come to a universal approach to the study of original language on what baptism really is. It originated as an industrial term of what you do with fabric. You take a white cloth, You baptize it, baptizo it in an industrial term, and you dye it to a new color. And you could say, well, that shows you that submersion is necessary. Uh, You know, we can argue and argue and argue. Let's look at the biblical history of water baptism. It seems to have originated, as I said, from purification rituals. And while John the Baptist came and offered a baptism of repentance, remember, that's what John did. Jesus obviously didn't need to repent. So he came to fulfill all the law, and the prophets, and the prophecy. And he came and submitted to John doing that for a reason. And while it was John the Baptist who baptized Jesus himself, Paul distinguished between the baptism of John, which was unto repentance, and baptism in the name of Jesus, which was unto faith. There is a big difference. So the fact that Jesus was baptized by John in the River Jordan does not translate over to us. We are not not baptized in John's baptism. We are baptized in the baptism of Jesus, which is by faith. In fact, those who were baptized by John were later baptized in Jesus' name, as we pointed out. So taking Jesus' relationship to water baptism, some have, despite the evidence just presented, taken water baptism as a sure sign that a person must have it to enter into the kingdom of God. And the LDS were big on that look at Jesus. They show a picture of him. He was baptized. We are baptized. But that's a whole new discussion, another discussion of why he did it. Uh, Many interpret John 3, where Jesus is discussing being born again with Nicodemus as being born of water and of the Spirit, that that water is baptism. Many, many churches do that. I would strongly suggest, and many others agree with me, that that's talking about the natural birth. And we were born of water and of the Spirit, which is what Christ came to regenerate us by, the spiritual baptism. Again, in my estimation, if someone believes that they need to be baptized, they better do it. If someone says, I believe baptism is necessary for me to enter heaven, by golly, you should do it, right? And I would do it for someone who believes that. No problem. Remember, the earliest Christians were Jews, and washings were woven into their faith. So the baptismal thing was a sure indication, hey, to the public, I have joined with Christ. Paul, however, said of water baptism that he was glad he didn't do them. He says, except for a couple instances, he said, I'm glad I didn't get involved in water baptisms. But instead, he said, I shared the good news. I shared the gospel, showing that water baptism and the gospel are not one and the same. The gospel, the good news, is is what we are saved by. Water baptism is a separate thing. And so Paul just said, I'm glad I didn't even do it, you know, because it creates factions. The earliest Christian baptisms were probably by immersion of some sort, at least partial, but other modes were used. But the first recorded liturgy of baptism is found in in something called the Apostolic Tradition, written down by St. Uh, Hippolytus of Rome, who lived from 170 to 235 AD. That's fairly close to the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. 170 to 235 AD. That's a pretty early writing. This is what water baptism had become when he recited what it was about. He said... "'Women and children first must remove all foreign objects "'such as jewelry and hair fastenings. "'Then he says, at the hour which the cock crew, "'they shall first pray over the water.'" Okay, 170 to 235, this is what water baptism was written in this book about the traditions of the apostles. "'Then the person comes to the water, "'the water shall be pure and flowing.'" That is the water of a spring or a flowing body of water. Let me tell you, there are manuscripts that talk about this, and this was a vital thing in early Christian baptisms, that the water be a running river, not some water that was gathered up in a pool. It had to be living water, and that was vital to early Christian thought on baptism. Then they shall take off all their clothes, it says. The children shall be baptized first, all of the children who can answer for themselves, let them answer. If there are any children who cannot answer for themselves, let their parents answer for them or someone else in their family. I don't know if that's talking about a profession of faith. And it also seems to allude to if a child can't talk yet or communicate, that so this kind of might support the idea of younger children being baptized. He writes, after this, the men will be baptized. Finally, the women After they have unbound their hair and removed their jewelry, no one shall take any foreign object with themselves down into the water, end quote. That is the earliest description of baptism in the early church. By the third and fourth centuries, baptism had a a catechism instruction that included exorcisms, And laying on of hands and the recitation of creeds that went along with the water baptism and these things continue to the very day in certain churches. I'm gonna jump forward now and pick the subject of water baptism up at the 16th century with Martin Luther who held to the Catholic idea that water baptism is a sacrament. Others disagreed. The Swiss dude came up named Zwingli and he considered baptism and the Lord's Supper merely symbolic. So now we start having the division at the Protestant Reformation. The Catholic Church said, this is what it is, a sacrament. Luther says, well, I think it's still a sacrament. Zwingli and the other guys come along and they say, no way. And baptism starts to become arbitrary. The Anabaptists denied the validity of water baptisms that were done outside their group. And if someone joined the Anabaptists, they had to be rebaptized by them. And here we go! And from here every opinion and approach under the sun bloomed as Sola Scriptura took hold of the hearts of some believers and hundreds of opinions spouted out about how water baptism should go down. Of course, the diversity of opinions on the subject led to restorationist groups. Alexander Campbell pops up. He says, listen, I'm the Church of Christ, and we're going to do it the way it was back in the old day. A few other people popped up then, too, Joseph Smith being one of them, and said, we're going to restore the church back to the way it should be, including how baptism is done. And on and on and on, Jehovah's Witnesses, many restoration groups popping up at that time saying, okay, we're going to bring some order to this. This is how it needs to be done. Now, listen, I'm aware of the various interpretations and opinions floating around on the subject. I fully understand being buried with Christ, rising to new life as, as a symbol of, uh, that is played out through submersion. I fully understand outward evidences of inward faith from people being baptized. I've witnessed firsthand the great meaning of the rite of water baptism and blessing it is in our lives that God gives us. I think it's part, it's a wonderful thing. But what I think and what I think I know is not relevant in this subject. and, and or it, Because what I think and what I think I know and what I teach and say is in opposition to other good believers who teach differently and suggest otherwise, including the idea that water baptism actually regenerates a person and makes them born again wherein lies the truth. Our caller claims, we just keep on with the approach that we've gone with, we just keep looking at the same book, and we just keep saying it gives us all of our answers, and there's commonality in the answers, and we're just deluding ourselves, and all we're doing is we're kind of contributing to our ultimate demise. Continued factions, continued restorations, instead of just taking the approach of, we're not going to get the truth out of this. I mean, the liturgy of baptisms for the Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Lutheran, Anglican, Methodist makes clear reference that baptism is not just symbolic burial but they all say supernatural transformation occurs when someone is put in the water and brought back out, and that is mandatory to enter into heaven. They tie it into Noah's Ark and the children of Israel escaping uh, 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 Moses and the Red Sea parting. Catholics believe that baptism is necessary for the cleansing of the taint of original sin. You have to have it to get rid of the original stain on us and for that reason, infant baptism is a common practice with Catholics. The Eastern churches, Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodoxy, baptize infants. Anglicans believe that baptism enters you into the church. Mormons believe you have to be baptized to become a member of the church. I'm hearing more and more of other churches saying you need to be baptized by us to become a member with us. All those members of these different groups is nothing but factioning. According to evidence which can be traced back to at least 200 years after Christ, right around that area, godparents or sponsors were always present at a baptism and they would vow, I will ensure that the person being baptized will uphold to their Christian tenets and standards. That was just part of the whole deal. Baptists baptize in the name of the Trinity—Father, Son, Holy Spirit—and they do not believe that baptism is necessary for salvation, but rather an act of Christian obedience. Full Gospel Charismatic churches, like Oneness Pentecostals, baptize only in the name of Jesus Christ, justifying this by Peter's preaching baptism in the name of Jesus in Acts two thirty-eight. These believers actually provide proofs from two hundred A.D. that show believers were baptized in Jesus' name alone until. The man-made construct of Trinity started popping up, and that's when we started doing it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you want to challenge that, look at the history of of the Great Commission and look to see about the evidence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being included in the manuscript of the Great Commission. It is believed by many, it was added by Trinitarians so that we would start doing things in the Trinitarian name and keep peace and order among ourselves. I'm going to skip on, there's another graphic, uh, Merle, skip it. Uh, I'm going to go to one last thing and then we'll go to the phones. We have Chuck in British Columbia. We have David in Salt Lake City. Let me just summarize it this way. Immersion only, Vineyard, LDS, Community of Christ, Eastern Orthodox, United Church of God, the Brethren Church, Calvary Chapels, Christadelphians, Church of Christ, Grace Communion, all believe in immersion only. That means some sort of Immersion into the water. Submersion, complete and total. Baptist, EV free, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, uh, oh, excuse me, LDS are also submersion. Oneness Pentecostals, Seventh day Adventists, complete submersion. Churches that will accept submersion, immersion, sprinkling, or pouring. General uh, Reformed, African Methodists, Disciples of Christ, the Anabaptists, Anglicans, Roman Catholic, Lutherans, Methodists, Moravians, and Nazarenes. Uh, uh, And then that includes the United Church of Christ. So all of those believers in the millions flowing in and out of those different institutions all accept a different baptism. Infants, Methodists, Anglicans, Eastern Orthodox, Lutherans, Moravians, Nazarenes, Presbyterians, Catholics, United Church of Christ. Are they wrong? Are they right? Is it from the Bible? How come not everybody does if it is or if it isn't? Ask yourself these questions. Water baptism, does it regenerate the soul of a person? Is it required for someone to be born again? Meaning it's not the spirit, it's this water application. Methodists contingently. Anglicans, Brethren, Christadelphians, the LDS, Community of Christ Churches, Disciples of Christ, Eastern Orthodox, Foursquare, Grace Communion, Lutherans, Nazarenes, Moravians, Oneness Pentecostals, Roman Catholic Vineyards. This is a huge subject as to whether someone is regenerated by water uh, or not. We have people who go ape bonkers When they say, Sean questions the Trinity, and we have a whole house of different churches that say you must be baptized by H2O in order to be changed in your heart and be acceptable to God. This, and and the whole point, get back to the whole point, my friends, and what is it? The whole point is we're never ever going to agree. So what do we do in the face of all this? Before we open up the phone lines, and that's 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413, let me appeal to the subjective idea of baptism. Those who seek baptism, provide it. Those who reject baptism, don't provide it. Those who want immersion, immerse them. Those who want submersion, submerge. sprinkling, pouring, living water, pool waters those who want to program in singers and dancers, those who want to be baptized alone, whatever. What's that you say? You want your sister to baptize you? Go ahead. What? Show me where that's not right. You want to share a testimony before? Okay, you want, to, you want to pronounce Jesus before the actual event occurs? Fine. You want to be baptized in Jesus' name alone, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? The Father, Son only, some do that, have at it. You mean it's up to me, comes the question. Yes, it's up to you. But why? Because it's your faith and your walk between you and God that matters. What you want in relationship to him is what matters. How You, you don't need us to tell you. What you have to do, you need to read the word, you need to understand it, and you need to see how you want it to apply. Does it matter? You know how I do my baptism. Comes the final question: What matters is why you are doing a baptism. That's what matters. All the other stuff is getting back to legalisms that will destroy you. It's because I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, that's enough. It should be enough for all of us. Someone says, "I believe." Be baptized. How do you want to do it? How come we can't? Get Start doing that together as a body of believers and get rid of these denominational stances that only divide. Okay, before we uh, go to the phone lines and we're going to go to David in Salt Lake, Chuck in British Columbia, let's take a look at this.
2: photo booth so I don't forget it.
0: Teach me,
3: you the God
1: of my. All right, we're going to David in Salt Lake City, and then we'll go to Chuck in British Columbia. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, I just wanted to... David? Hey, Sean. David? Sean. Hey. Can
3: you hear me? A little bit louder,
1: Seth, man. Go ahead.
3: Hey, I just wanted to ask you about subjective Christianity. Yeah. Is it true that Christianity is subjective?
1: I think so. Completely.
3: Isn't that an an objective statement? You even followed it up by completely. So it's non-subjective.
1: Well, I guess my, my description of it is objective. And there are some objective things about Christianity. I think that, the, the, that God, is, God is, and God is love, and God is truth. They're objective things, and we don't alter that. But I think our response to God's reaching and leaning and our understanding of the scripture is subjective.
3: Okay, you made a couple of truth claims at the beginning there. God is, God is love. Yeah. How do you know that? What's that? How do you know that? I, I, I
1: don't know it in the epistemological sense, but I read it in the word I trust, and, and because it is described in that, and it seems to be indisputable, I consider it an objective truth. Now, that's a subjective response. There are others who would say, well, I'm not sure. I, I, for instance, there's people who believe in open theism. They don't think God knows everything. And so, if he doesn't know everything, how could he be true, He's still learning, So, and do I b- believe them as my brother? If they accept Christ, I do. So I am not trying to impose the, the objective truths of Christianity onto anybody. I just see those things as pretty, uh, pretty objectively uh, driven, and we receive them that way. But you don't have to. I think everybody well, is open and free position, to... It, go ahead.
3: Your, your, your position is self-refuting. You keep making objective statements and then you say you don't know anything. That's not true. You do know
1: things. Okay. Maybe I'm not articulating this well enough for you, David. I, I believe when I make declarative statements in those statements, but when I say subjective Christianity, I don't impose those statements on anybody else. You don't have to agree with me, follow me, or believe those things I objectively declare. That's the definition of subjective Christianity okay. for me.
3: But so what you mean by subjective Christianity is that what you believe doesn't have to be believed by other people.
1: When I say that, yes. And what you believe doesn't have to be embraced by me either.
3: Okay, but does but does, that not, does that not... That is irrelevant to the idea of subjective Christianity. What I mean by that is there is ultimate truth, is there not? There is what? There is ultimate truth, is there not? You talked a lot about that. I believe there.
1: I believe there is ultimate truth. I just don't know that we as human beings can grasp it properly.
3: So God has not spoken clearly. He
1: has spoken clearly. Our ability to interpret and understand His speaking is limited. How do you know that? It's just something I subjectively believe. So you don't know it. So you could be wrong. I could be wrong.
3: Then why are you saying that you know it?
1: I didn't. I said I subjectively believe it.
3: The whole premise of what you have been pr- putting out the last three, four months are truth claims, and then when you're pressed on them, you say, I don't know that for sure. Why I do not No those claims then? N-
1: no, because, because I am here as a teacher to teach the word the best of my ability and convey my thoughts the best I can. But it would be, let me finish how can you and I'll let you talk. Okay. It would be utter arrogance on my part to say this is how it is and this is truth. You better believe me. And so I have to say it's up to you to decide how you're going to interpret that, follow it, believe it, incorporate it into your life. You can accept it. You can reject it. And that's what I'm trying to convey. It's not easy to do. That's why there is such a a difficult disconnect between people like me and you. But I am not trying to give any, any truth that says this is it, you have to do it this way. I think there's plenty of wiggle room in almost everything.
3: No, you are, you are saying that it has to be done your way because you're saying it has to be done subjectively.
1: Okay, so we can go down that road and we can be philosophical and we can tease apart the arguments and we can say, what is reality? No one has reality. We can do all that that's stuff. False. I ha- that's false, I have reality. Bottom
3: line. No, because no, because you, I am not saying you say you don't know anything doesn't
1: mean, doesn't follow that I don't know anything. No, I I'm listen. If you're an objective Christian and you say this is true, this is true, and you I accept you. Let me
3: ask. Let me ask. Let me let me ask you, let me ask you a let me ask you a question. Okay. Did Jesus Christ die on
1: the cross. I believe Jesus Christ died on a cross. Now is it, wait a second. No, no, you asked me a question. Believe, the Jehovah's Witnesses say it was a stake uh other christians say it was a Tau, not a cross and the capital t that's not a cross other people say it was close to the ground other people say it was high up so when you say that you think you have an objective truth there and i'm just saying back off we don't know anything really that's what i'm saying this is going to help us survive you didn't answer my well you didn't answer my question did he die on a cross did jesus die on the cross he died on what they called a cross is that true? I believe it's true. How do you know that? I don't know it. So you so you don't know that? I don't know it. I believe it. I walk by faith. It's faith. I don't know it. I believe it.
3: So you don't know that Jesus died on the cross?
1: No, neither do you.
3: Of course I do. God has revealed it to me.
1: Okay, well now we enter into... Uh, his, God's revelations what, to I, you. And then we have other people who say God has given them revelations. And so what do we say to all that, David? I
3: say, okay. Here's the thing is, you're okay. bringing up, when I asked you a direct question, you brought up Jehovah's Witnesses, hi, well, now you're bringing up other people. I'm saying, I know it. Are you saying I don't know it?
1: No, I'm saying you have the right to say you know it.
3: Do I know it, or do I not know it?
1: I don't I'm not in the position to judge that only God can. You understand what I'm saying? No, no, I don't understand. David, you're telling me, you know, he died on what we call a cross. I'm saying I believe that you say, you know it. I say, I believe it. Okay, you know it. That's great. How can I judge that? I don't know what you know. I have no idea. You could be just be arguing right now and you really don't know. You just believe. But I believe it, you know it. Okay, I accept you. Can you accept me? I believe it.
3: I, I, think the, I think that the problem of all of this subjectiveness and you saying that you don't know it, you only believe it. Yeah. It is just a want to be your own ultimate authority. You want to just make the rules yourself. You are, you are committing the sin of idolatry and I urge you to repent.
1: Okay. Now listen, when you say that I've committed the sin of idolatry, you have decided that you have the capacity to say that about me, my heart toward God, I need to repent. This is the very problem with people who think they know. And this is the this the end result is we have a bunch of Christians walking around saying saying I know and you need to Christianity is
3: subjective. It's Christianity is subjective. Yes. What's wrong with me saying that?
1: There's nothing wrong with you saying it, I'm just pointing yeah, out just, the problem with, saying, with saying it. No, something wrong with saying No, I'm just saying, I'm pointing out the problem of saying it. You're welcome in our church as a complete literalist who thinks he knows everything. I've met them. It's okay.
3: I don't think that I, I, think
1: that I know. I you might know things I don't. I not think I, know, I don't think you know everything. I think I know what God has revealed. Okay, David. Can you tell me what God has revealed that you know? Yeah, the 66 books of the Bible. What? What did you say? The sixty-six books of the Bible. You don't think there were more? No, of course not. You don't think that the uh, that the some of the apocryphal writings had any value? You don't think that any of the other books could have made it in? Any of the other gospel accounts? Any of that? That the sixty-six books were the sixty-six books, polem. Period.
3: I think that I think that the apocryphal writings are good for. Uh, Demonstration in Christian living and history, but not but not Scripture. No.
1: Why do you think that?
3: Because that because that is the way that the Christian church has always believed. For one and for two, if they were in the Bible, they would still be in the Bible today because that's what the Bible says.
1: Who compiled the Bible? David. God. God compiled the Bible. Did he put the books in the order that they're in? Too.
3: Yeah, I would say. Okay. So are you saying that he didn't?
1: Yeah, I'm saying he didn't. I'm saying how do you know he that? didn't. How do you know that? How do you know he did?
3: Is it true? Is it true that he didn't compile the Bible? How do you know he did? I'm asking you if that's true. You're making truth claims. Tell me how you know that he didn't. How do you know he did? Well, I'm not. I'm not the
2: one who says I don't know anything. So
1: I don't I, have to. I don't. To I think that wrong. there's enough evidence that there are other books that are valuable. In fact, the Catholic Church has a whole bunch of other books that are included in their Bible. Luther had a whole bunch of other books that were included in his Bible, the father of the reformation that you follow. I mean, you are just oh, you I don't are know just hold on, wh- hold on. You're, Okay, you're, David. This is the problem. You and I are illustrating the problem perfectly. You and I right now is you're, that you're, I don't give a rats. Listen. No, David, I don't care what you think or believe. I welcome you to believe what you want. I accept you in that. And you're going to have to try to accept that I accept you in your dogmatic way and I accept somebody who is not. It's Jesus. Christ Jesus alone. That's it. That's
3: it. Is Jesus is Jesus is Jesus a man or is Jesus God? It's Jesus. Which one? It's Jesus. The one, the, one that, the one that Jehovah's Witnesses believe in, it's or the j- one that the
1: Mormons believe in? I, some Mormons believe in the right ones, some Mormons believe in the wrong ones. Same with J-Dubs, same with Baptists, same with you and me. I mean, Jesus, who are we to Jesus
3: decide? Michael, Jesus Michael the Archangel? It's okay for people to say Jesus if Michael If people the believe
1: that, and they have a relationship with him, I believe Jesus was a literal well, they, son of God for four years before I really understood the Bible, and I was certainly born again. What you are is you're just trying to say we have to have these rules, and I'm saying it's Jesus. That's it. I'm not
3: saying I'm not saying anything for rules. I'm just saying I'm just demonstrating that you are up spouting facts and truth claims, and then you're saying but nothing is actually true. There is no ultimate truth. Believe whatever uh, you want. Okay, I have you never made said that. Objective claims.
1: I said you there is made ultimate.
3: Made claims this entire conversation.
1: I said there is ultimate truth. I said we just have a hard time as human beings understanding it. So, we have the word.
3: If if there's an ultimate truth about who Jesus is. You
1: don't know it, David, and neither do I. Wow. Yeah.
3: Does anybody know it?
1: Not on earth. No, when they think they do, they become prophets.
3: The Bible's unclear?
1: The Bible's not untrue. The Bible is true.
3: No, I said said the Bible is unclear.
1: Very unclear. Very ambiguous and very paradoxical. Extremely. Didn't you just listen to what we talked about on baptism? I mean, let's just use tonight's example, David. What's the way to baptize? David? Well, that
3: doesn't prove, here, here's, here's what I'm saying. You send- David, you answer room. my question now. David, I am. what's
1: the proper I am. way to baptize? Are you
3: gonna, let me answer you. Okay. You send, six, you send six people into a room to do a research study on baptism. Okay. Six people, co- six people come back with the Bible in hand and give you six different answers. That doesn't prove that the Bible's unclear. It proves that man is fully depressed.
1: I agree with that. I've said that twice now. Man okay. has the problem, not the Bible, not the Spirit, okay. not God.
3: Okay, so, so it is possible for people to read the Bible and know what it says. Okay, who? Anyone.
1: Okay, then why all the difference of opinions from people who love the Lord?
3: Because people will do what you are doing right now and putting yourself okay, in the. Okay, it's my fault then. Saying, no, no, I'm saying that. Well, it is your fault. That you don't know any truth because you want to pick and choose what you like. And don't I don't. Like, I'm not, not like picking women, and choosing, you David. Like not, you don't like women not. don't not speaking in church. That nah, that was for then, not for now. It wasn't like for the the now, truth? David. You like, you like the fact. You like the fact that uh, salvation by faith alone. So you keep that. You pick and choose because you are your own ultimate authority, not God. And. Is
1: God your ultimate authority? You better believe it. Really? And how so I do would, I, so then I would, would have to suggest, talking to you, David, that you have everything downright. right. Right?
3: Don't, I don't have everything down right. Okay,
1: neither do I. I'm just saying I don't have anything downright, and neither do you. That's all I'm saying.
3: Well, do you know that?
1: I believe it, I believe it, David. Listen, listen, David, let me, let's just get to something that's fruitful here. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of my faith.
3: Hold on. David, you're just,
1: you want to argue. David, I wanted to say, I accept whatever people come to the, the altar with when it comes to God. And when they include Christ, I consider them a brother or sister in Christ. That's all I'm saying. All the other stuff. I'm just suggesting we have to let it go and let people differ on opinions. We haven't even talked to you about your opinions, David, and I haven't even tried to go down that road to show you how many people will differ with you who are good believers. So let's just drop all this stuff.
3: Okay, either way, but let me say, let me say one last thing and I'll let you go. All right. You said, you said that you don't know anything, and then you said that you know that I'm wrong about things. Do you know that for sure? Well,
1: you've proven me wrong. You, You've proven me a bad arguer, David, okay? You've beaten me no, at I pro- the... I've, no, I've proven, oh, your, I- I've proven your position self-refuting, and I urge you to... Okay, so my position is self-refuting. I don't deny that. I, I, I self-refute myself. <laughs> I, I have nothing here but a guy who reads the Word, and I do read it, David, and I'm in it a lot, and I try to understand it, and the more I try to understand it, the more I see, we don't know Jack, and that includes you, my brother. That's my opinion. Do you, you know ca- that?
3: Do you know that I don't know anything?
1: <laughs> I don't know anything, David, and neither do you. All right. Thank do you know for the call. We're going to Chuck know? in British Columbia. Chuck, you're on Heart of the Matter. Chuck. Hello. Yeah. Hey, you're on the air.
2: Hey, this is John. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Hey, I just, uh, I, I'm just gonna. I'm going to try not to test your patience like the last caller. Sorry about that. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> so I've got two things to bring up. One thing, uh, it's just about. I think it's from moment from the word today. Uh, you mentioned. I think it was First Corinthians two two or something like that, where Paul says, uh, "I didn't bring anything here. I didn't know anything except Christ Jesus and didn't crucified." Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just wondering how do you um, how do you Reconcile that passage with something like I was just looking here, Second Peter uh, three sixteen, where it says um, I think it's Peter saying to, to whoever he's speaking to, he's saying that um, uh, there are some things in the in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So I'm just wondering, like it seems as though there's there's kind of Paul obviously in one instance brings just the gospel and and you know it's in, in a humble way where he doesn't know anything but on the, on the other sense, it it just it's almost like there is a sense in which there are really hard things to understand about what Paul says or whatever and uh, and I'm just wondering what you have to say about that
1: it's a great question Chuck and this is the part of the paradox of the scripture we have a real declarative statement by Paul in 2nd, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, where he says, I, 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 have, I came to you with nothing but Jesus Christ crucified, right? And, and right. you can take that and you can say, okay, that's it. And then you go and you read so much more of what Paul said, and, and it conflicts with that declarative statement. And we have so many, we should do a show on the paradoxes in the New Testament just to show you how when we as humans try to take a single stance and make that our platform we can use the bible to prove ourselves wrong in another place and we have a question right here chuck i'm going to bring this in didn't god know giving us a subjective bible would create factions i believe god knew fully what this would do and i believe in the end those who love and that is the command they will rise above the factions, and those who get caught up in knowledge and division and all that will settle where they want to be. And I believe that's God's reason for making it so difficult for us to come to a consensus about.
2: Okay, that's cool. And then my second thing has to do with baptism. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, was, I remember talking to a guy, and I think the Salvation Army is pretty similar. I, quote me if I'm, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think they don't do the Lord's Supper and baptism. Right, I think yeah. there's there's some denominations out there who don't they don't not only do they disagree on the method, but they actually don't even do baptism. Yeah, and uh, I'm just wondering, like for me, I I think I totally agree with you on on you know methods. I don't care about sprinkling, immersion, all that stuff. I think, um, but I would draw the line on uh, doing it. Period. And and I think obviously there's exceptions. You know, if a guy's you know an, an inmate in a maximum security prison, he's there. Um, He's not going to be able to follow certain commands like preach the gospel, he's in there by himself. So in the same way, I don't think he can take communion or get baptized. But I think if if you have the chance, wouldn't it be kind of like an obvious to get baptized?
1: Well, in response to you, I agree with you personally about baptism and I, I welcome it and encourage it with anybody. However, the Quakers, they did not believe in water baptism. And I believe that there were many Quakers who were devout to God and Christ. And so what do we do with that? I, 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 we are saved by faith, in my opinion, we are not saved by water. And so if a Quaker was sitting in my congregation and raised his hand and said, you're holding baptisms, I don't agree with that. I said, I welcome you, that's okay. He's going to go to God alone. He's going to say, I didn't believe in water baptism, and he will answer for that. But the Holy Spirit is working on that Quaker, and the Holy Spirit is working on me and everybody else. In the same way, we have to be able to choose for ourselves what we're going to embrace and what we're not.
2: Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, okay. so You would say, you'd say like not getting baptized might be something you have to answer to in the sense that it could be wrong disregard the command, but it's not anything to do with salvation.
1: Not. And uh, Everything okay. that we're choosing could be wrong. Everything that we are choosing could be right. The question is, are we being led by love? Are we being led by the Spirit? And we will be held accountable for that before God as individuals, not as groups. And so if it's that subjective, that we all die alone and face God alone, I cannot believe that embracing a corporate mentality is going to have any merit with Him. He's going to say, Sean, my spirit was on you. I was calling you to do this, and you ignored that. And so I really believe that. That's, that's what I'm trying to get across with this approach. But I really appreciate your, your questions because they're good, and they make us think.
2: Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Chuck. Take care. God bless. God bless See you. you. Right. Listen, don't want division. I, I know that, um, that David... He, was, he, he had a, a thing with me, and he probably would give it up after we talked long enough and because we are steeped in these traditions. We are steeped in I'm right, you're wrong, us versus them. It helps us feel secure, and there's nothing like pulling the rug out from yourself or from others to make them feel unstable, but that's when we cry out to God, and that's when we search his word, and we err on the side of love for people who differ with us not on the side of division. That's the whole point of this. It is not whether uh, I'm right or I'm wrong or you're right or you're wrong. It's do we err on the side of love. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
0: I'm on a right going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't be coming out, I'm going in This man's awake, a storm's arising The dawn's waiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light we uh...